Yeah, talk about sounds that are uplifting. Well, we've got a few coming up now. And with us is tonight's special guest. Welcome back to the World Show, Don Dada. Oh, what a big thing it is. I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for having me, Nikki B. Shout out, Kaya FM. World Show, it's a big thing. <laughs> I didn't want to talk over that. I want to copy that and use it on the World Show. <laughs> Thank you, Don. And in fact, the first time you came here, you came here with Rasipo, who, by the way, was celebrating Miriam Makeba with me on the show last week. And it's great to have you. It's been a long time and I've been wanting you to come back. <laughs> Not enough reggae on our airwaves. But uh, that is your genre. Tell me a little bit about where you came from and your musical beginnings. When and where and what was it that you were first listening to? Well, um, I grew up in the south side of Johannesburg, Turfontaine, Forest Hill. I even went to Forest High School for my first year of high school. So south side boy all the way. My musical influences, the number one influence I would put down to it is my father. My father's not really a musician but you know he plays the guitar, sings songs now and then and when I was younger he used to have people like Dr. Victor and the Rasta Rebels over at the house and they would be playing guitar and you know just having a little jam session and I used to watch that and I used to feel like oh, I want to be involved but how can I get involved and then I started thinking you know what vocals that's for me so I started working on my writing songs and all of that and slowly but surely I got into the music so I have to give it to my dad he's, he's number one for me. And it sounds like I mean if Dr. Victor Victor was visiting, it sounds like your dad was a big reggae fan. Oh, the hugest. Um, you know, way back in the day, I know my dad had a big influence in, in getting reggae started off in Zimbabwe. So my dad is like one of the biggest reggae fans of the world. And my mom, she met uh, Bob Marley in 1980 in the streets of Ferrari when he came for independence. So that's how I get my name, Menelik Nesta Gibbons, because when they met, um, they had a conversation about African history and he was asking about Ethiopia. And at the time, she didn't know much about the Ethiopia except that they were going through a famine. So she told him that and he wasn't satisfied. He was like, no, listen, you need to go and research your African history and promise me you're going to do that. And if you have a child one day, name him after me if it's a boy. Amazing. So that's my, my whole story, right? Yes. I, actually, Mama's here and I'm looking at her and she is. <laughs> she's uh, filming this, but also she's nodding her head. Menelik Nesta Gibbons. I've always wondered about your birth name, actually. Uh-huh. Now you've just told me that. That's so, so beautiful. So obviously Bob Marley made a big impact on your on your family. Did your family come from Zimbabwe? I mean, you mentioned that. Um, my dad's from Zim, my mom as well. I grew up in South Africa, so I guess, you know, I, I hate placing um, borders and using them as, as a definition for us. So I'd like to say African. We're African. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. But I want to say Zimbabwe as in we are in Rosebank. Yeah. And uh, Houghton is next door, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I always say, who drew that line that made offense there, really? 100%. You know, that separated families, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But, Don, you spoke about starting to write. So, how old were you when you started to write music or, oh, or, or lyrics? My first professional release was at the age of 13. Um, it came out in the Hype magazine. The song was entitled For What It's Worth. And it was actually produced by my uncle, Uncle Gus Smythe. Um, he was the, the trumpet player for Dr. Victor and the Rasta Rebels. So, 
that was my first introduction. But writing off songs, oh man, for as long as I can remember, I, I got a lot of my school books from primary school. And if you look in the front, it's schoolwork. If you go to the back, it's raps. So <laughs> it's always been a part yes. of Yes. Do you remember your first performance, performing in the public? First performance, um, and it, it was a gift to me by a lady by the name of Vanessa Purmal um, from JT Communications. Ah, big up Vanessa. Yeah. <laughs> She's such a queen, you know. Yes. So she helped me um, get that performance. And I think it was um, it was like a, 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 an arts and culture event. I'm, I'm forgetting what it was called, but it was in Newtown. And it was my first performance. I think there was like 100 people in the crowd. And they'd actually come to see some guys who were performing before me. So I thought, yo, it's a big crowd. Yes. And then when they finished performing, they left with their fans. And I was like, ah, oh, there's 10 of us. <laughs> but yeah, what a great learning experience. I really, really enjoyed that. But you know, it's interesting that you say there were 10 of you. And this is something that I tell younger artists a lot even for myself when I started DJing sometimes there were just 10 people there but I remember saying I'm playing for these 10 people and that's how you grow your audience that's how you grow your following give it your all if there's three people or 3,000 people Give it your all. 100%. That's, yes. that's how I feel. I mean, in the beginning, I've done some crazy shows. There was one show I went to. They booked me in Hillbrow. And I got there. I was like, ah, performance in Hillbrow. I don't know this club, but let's check it out. And I get there, and it's like a club that goes underground. So I, I was like, okay, that's fine. We get there underground, and the only people in the club are the people that were working there. So yes. I was like, this is very strange. But you know what? All you guys are in for a treat tonight because you're not working, you're watching a performance. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. And talking about Hilbra, I think I first saw Dr. Victor and Hilbra. Oh, gosh, it must have been the late 80s or something like that, <laughs> or the early 90s. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you've played alongside some of the greats yeah. in Hilbra. So I'm going to play some songs of yours and we're going to chat more. Uh, I'm going to start off with a song worth no more. Tell us about this track. Oh, what a beautiful song. So that song um, was created for the Marcus Garvey Unity Concert, which was the inauguration um, event from that foundation. And it was so crazy because on the stage, it was hosted by Tony Rebel. He was also performing as well. Richie Spice was also performing. Cat um, Core from Third World was also on the stage. And then here comes Dan Dada. So it's like I was put into the ranks of, of legends in my eyes. Yes, you know? so your that was heroes. Such a blessing. Yes. yes. And basically the theme of the concert was No More. Um, no more racism, no more violence, no more gender-based abuse. And this is where the concept of that song came along from because I thought about the concept and I said, you know what, there's so much going on around us that indeed no more war in Ukraine, no more, not even just Ukraine, war in the world. We don't want to see that anymore. Hunger, starvation, poverty, we don't want this. So that's where the idea came from. Thank you so much. I want to hear more about it when we come back on the other side of the track. Don Dada, coming up now, no more on the World Show. No more, no more, no more. I agree with you, Don. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Don Dada on the World Show. New song, heard it on the World Show, probably one of the first in the country to to play the song. Definitely yes. the first exclusive for you, you know, and, <laughs> Thank and for you, the World John. Show, it's perfect. Absolutely. And the message, everything, the music, everything, perfect, perfect. So, you know, you spoke about this concert, but you've had quite a lot of success working with the uh, Tough Gong, working 
working with uh, working abroad actually yeah. how did you hook up with the whole Bob Marley uh, uh, foundation can I call it that? oh you know it, it was a blessing of life um, we created a song um, entitled Jai is Good and um, it was recorded with the reggae powerhouse band as the production of the song and the lead the leader of the reggae powerhouse band Mr. Leroy Scarlett he lives in Jamaica so he decided look this song is so nice I'm going to take it around and, and see what can happen with it and he took it and he took it to Tough Gong and Tough Gong was like we love it distribution deal for you so you know it was a blessing from God because in music not a lot of times something like that happens you make a lot of songs but there's very few times that people recognize it so far away yes. so very very blessed and lucky with that and I always say it takes one person just one person to make a difference yeah. you know and and since then tell me a little bit more about your relationship with the label and about how it's hooked you up performing uh, internationally well it's, it's been a, a great journey um, they've been distributing my music I, I came to Jamaica I think twice I was there for the first time I performed at uh, Bob Marley's house in Hope Road Kingston wow. which was a beautiful thing for his birthday celebration I mean from him meeting my mom to years and years later distribution with Tough Gong and then performing on his stage at his house yes. that was quite an amazing thing and then the second time I went to Jamaica I was invited by Tough Gong for the worldwide release of Third World's album that was produced by Damien Marley so that was also great because now I got to meet the whole of Third World Damien's mom like people I'd only seen in magazines and TV so yes. again your heroes your idols yes. actually being able to stand next to them and work with them 100% yes. so very humbling experience and uh, unfortunately because of the effects of COVID it, it really did close down and affect our industry in many different ways but um, telephonically and on the digital world we've always kept in touch and as soon as I'm able to I keep telling them I'm coming to Jamaica and I'm telling you I'm going to do it in winter because I don't like cold so <laughs> <laughs> do it when it's winter here you yeah, right yes that's the way chase the sun chase the right. sun but you know talk about these heroes that you've worked with and I mean we lost uh, one of this uh, upcoming duo recently Sly and Robbie yes yes but you worked with them I mean you were lucky enough to work with them yes tell me about that experience it, it was so crazy um, and again I'll have to give massive respect to Mr. Leroy Scarlett I mean his influence in reggae music is quite extraordinary he's one of the main producers um, for um, Gregory Isaacs uh, Dennis Brown so he knows like all of the guys in the industry so when I got to Jamaica he said no look I need to take you to some studios and the one that I'm going to take you to is actually Sly and Robbie's studio so we went through to the studio and at the time Sly wasn't around he was in Miami if I'm not mistaken and the studio is not so big in fact all the equipment fills up like more than three quarters of the room and then the rest is just for you and the artist the engineer and the artist yes. so I, I was looking at this and I'm like yo this is where but where's the drum kit sorry I had to interrupt <laughs> yeah right I think it's in the booth I never got to go in the booth <laughs> I think it's in the booth yes. or maybe maybe Sly took it with him he yes. could have because that's his baby right there <laughs> so you know I looked around and I thought what a humbling place this is because it's not the biggest studio we've ever seen but how many Grammys have come from this room? Yeah. How many worldwide renowned artists have recorded in this room? The and energies. not just reggae artists. Uh, yeah. Sly and Robbie have recorded with everybody. Yeah, you Mick know? Jagger yes. Ro uh, the, and the Rolling Stones. Um, what's the, the, the lady's Graham, um Grace Grace Jones. Yes. She was there as well. So many, so many artists have touched that microphone. And again, for me to come in into that mix of names, it's 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 such a big thing. I feel that that God has been blessing me with this hip hop journey. 
and then the reggae music journey, you took it to a higher level because with hip hop, I got nominated and I did a couple things. But with reggae music, I'm now sitting in the room with legends and they're acknowledging me as their peer. It's crazy. <laughs> and I mean, how do you find that? Uh, talking about hip hop and reggae, mm-hmm. how do you find the two worlds, or do the two worlds collide or meet? For me, you know, reggae music is the origin of hip hop because hip hop was started by a man by the name of uh, DJ Cool Herc in New York City, and he was a Jamaican immigrant. So he used to ride around New York with sound systems on the back of a pickup, and he used to be playing his stuff and doing old school hip hop. So, you know that hip hop, a hippie, a hippie to the hip hip hop. That's that old school dude. Yes. So they basically had taken the Jamaican sound system culture and adopted it with an English accent and created hip-hop. So now when you look at hip-hop, they're creating the Hip-Hop Hall of Fame. It's going to be placed in Jamaica. So for me, it's like hand in hand. Now, reggae music is the origin. So I love hip-hop so much, I've gone back to where it began. Yes, <laughs> you know what I, I love mean? that. And yes. reggae for me is, is, is more than music. It's so spiritual as well. So it connects with me on a different level, whereas hip-hop is more, it's more bravado. It's more about Yes. You know, this is what I've done. This is who I am. Whereas reggae music is more about giving praise to Jah, uh, those around you, protection and blessings. And, and I like that concept the older I get. I'm pleased you said that because that was going to be my next question about that spirituality. Um, do you consider yourself a Rasta? Yeah, I was born a Rasta. Yes. A Rastafari. I was born a Rastafari. Yes. My father was Rastafari way before my birth. That's all I know as, as a family. My mom is Christian and I go with her to church as well. And, you know, for me... If you look at Rastas, right, uh, most of them that I've seen, you get Rastas, there's very different ones. So let me not generalize in the beginning. You get some Rastas who don't read the Bible. They'll actually burn a Bible. They, they, yes. they don't like it too much. And then you get other Rastas who actually read the Bible and they follow the words of the Bible. And I think Bob Mali was one of them from the 12 tribes of Judah. Yes. So I'm one of those that, that follow the Bible. I, I do see the Christianity and I believe in Christ. And I also believe in, in the Rastafari followings, the teachings of Emperor Haile Selassie the first and the lineage of Selassie because for me he's the only person that I can in my personal life I can relate and follow his lineage back to King Solomon in the Bible because he is from the lineage of Menelik and, and the, the son of Queen Sheba and Solomon whereas nobody else in this world do I know where they come from so for me that's a very very impactful thing yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Going back to Sly and Robbie, this next track, Lion or Lion Raw, but I like the way you spell it, R-A-W, not R-O-A-R. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about this track. This was obviously what you recorded there. Yes, yeah, so this song was uh, recorded, you know, I love this, the lions in reggae music. Number one, it's like one of the biggest symbolisms. A lion Absolutely. is powerful, it's majestic, but it's also the, the, the animal that sits at the foot of the throne of Jah. So it's very close to God and it's a very spiritual animal when you look at it. So I took that aspect and I, I molded it into saying that, look, we live in a concrete jungle, the city. And if I'm going to be living in a concrete jungle, I'm not going to be a sheep and I'm not going to be a, a gazelle or a zebra that's getting preyed on. I'm going to be a lion in this jungle because that's what Jah meant me to be. Yeah. So that's, that's the whole concept of the song. The king of the jungle, the king of the urban jungle. Yeah, <laughs> Don Dada with me, Nikki B on the World Show. Coming up next, Lion, or I prefer it as Lion Roar.
And Don is skanking in the studio. Mind you, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> it's a vibe right now. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. You know, there was a time of my life, actually in the 80s, I lived in Cape Town for some years. And reggae was just like the big thing at that time. And, and I think that it still is in Cape Town. There's a very, very strong reggae movement there. And there were years when... All I listened to was reggae, and I all went to all the gigs in Cape Town. We'd go there, you know, I have, go, have a white skin, and we weren't allowed there in the township after 6 o'clock. We'd wear balaclavas and gloves so we could drive there, and if the lights were shining on us, nobody would know we were white. You know? <laughs> and we used to go there, and we used to dance till the morning, till 6 o'clock in the morning when I was allowed to go to the township. So, <laughs> skanking all night long. I love yeah. that. I love that. That's powerful yes, right there. Yes, yes. And you're so right. Uh, I think Naisna has the biggest Rastafarian community in the world. Um, you're looking at 2 million Rastafaris in that community. So that is incredible. And I think that's why regular music still permeates from Cape Town till today. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I also find that the uh, uh, reggae lovers, r- Rastafarians, uh, the whole reggae scene, if I can say, is still pretty marginalized in this country. Um, you know, and I know there have been certain artists that have really, I mean, if, if, if you look at Lucky Dubey, Lucky was known everywhere. It fills stadiums. Uh, somebody once told me of he was in the the desert in Niger and there were just like desert and camels and he saw this caravan of camels approaching and one of the Tuaregs who was riding the camel had a lucky Dubai cap on, you know. <laughs> so it just shows you how far it reaches. But uh, but yet lucky would battle to fill a small venue here. What is What are your thoughts about, you know, the evolution or, or what can I say, putting reggae more in the forefront? Well, you know, when you, when I look at the history of reggae music in South Africa, one thing that stands out to me is that reggae music was used for the fight against the apartheid regime. It was a freedom fighters music. That's what know? I'm saying about the 80s. It 100%. was the one place we could all go and be together. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, even when you, you, you listen to speeches from uh, our Minister of Arts and Culture, the Honorable Natim Tetwa, and, and all a whole bunch of our leaders, they will all tell you stories of how reggae music used to motivate them back in the day. Now, I think that once the fight of apartheid had ended, I think that reggae music became a little bit too radical. I mean, it's still fighting, but what are we fighting now, you know? And I think that's why it got put to the side and they started looking at at different musics because they thought okay, we can't be still inciting a revolution when we have already changed what we wanted to change, so let's look at a different music that's not going to incite the people. But for me, reggae music is is way more than that. It's way more than the revolutionary spirits. As I said, it's a spiritual thing it's a love for, for one's community. It's love for, for women. You know, the, the, the respect that we pay to, to women in reggae music is, is not comparable to a lot of other genres. So I think that is something that our community is lacking a lot of, especially when we speak about things as moral regeneration and we're trying to rebuild our communities and there's so much gender-based uh, violence and so on going on. I think it starts with what we intake, the music we listen to, the things we see on TV, the, the, the media we consume on the internet. So I think 
think reggae is sorely missed and it's it's needed because it's one of those healing musics. It always does. It always lifts people's spirits and and, and, and brings people together, yeah. you know. And but maybe that as you say, that is precisely why it is marginalized, you know. And again, there is a revolution we still need to be singing about yeah. or to be having. Apartheid thankfully has gone. Yes. But uh, we still have many issues which need to be addressed and I think Rega unifies in that sense. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And I think that, you know, if, if we could all and as musicians, I mean musicians have a social responsibility whether we like it or not. The music that we pe- put out influences so many lives and touch so many different people. So it's within our hands if we're looking for change, we're the people who have to invoke this change. And and this is why I started leaning towards reggae music because reggae music is always looking for a change for the better for everyone whereas with other genres I felt that it was becoming more self-centered and focused on oneself and one's career and what you're trying to achieve and if we're building a nation we can't be thinking of ourselves we got to think of everyone beautifully said Don Dada <laughs> here we go again that's the next track we're going to play tell us about this one big tune big tune right there <laughs> that was my, my first um, venture into some dance hall type style um, it's produced by Fashals a young producer from Zimbabwe so it's I think is one of the very few because I, I work mostly with Jamaica so it's one of the very few people from the Sadak region that's been producing on my album I'm so thankful for it and the song is based Basically saying, look, you, people thought that I had, I had left the industry, I had uh, no more hip-hop, where's that at? So I had to come back and say, boy, here we go again, it's never one stop. The party keep going, you know? <laughs> so that's the, the consciousness party. is still the same. Always, always. <laughs> Don Dada on the World Show, with me, Nikki B. I just thought you should know this, we praise Jah like Moses, who no fear no opposes. Here we go again, everything I from them, everything I got in jobless life. John Dada on the World Show, Kaya FM 95.9. We are grooving. I bet you're grooving at home as well. We certainly are. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's such an honor to be here. (laughs) So much fun, Don. So, so, so much fun. So now, you know, um, the relationship between yourself as a South African and your connection to Jamaica. You know, there's often been this, this uh, people say, you know, you're African. That's what you should look at. How how do people that are African connect with, uh, you know, the, the struggle in Jamaica? Or Because you are African, it's not the same struggle, you yes, know. Yes. And, and uh, you know, so there's been, I've heard criticism over the years, not about you, but just about, but you are African. You are the original African. You weren't part of the slavery that took Africans to Jamaica. True talk. How do you reconcile that? Well, my answer to that is that they're African as well because uh, that's where they were taken from. So I, I don't see a definition of because you were taken to a foreign land that changes your origin. We are all African. Africans in the diaspora are Africans nonetheless. So for me, I'm embracing my brothers and sisters and it would be a shame for me to dismiss them because if I dismiss them, what would have happened if they dismissed our struggles during apartheid? They love Nelson Mandela. If you have to go to Jamaica, he has one of the biggest parks in Jamaica. Yes. When Emperor Haile Selassie came to Jamaica, 
it came to a standstill. People wouldn't move. They, no one went to work. It was like a holiday because the African king is here. So if they love us so much, how can we be indifferent towards them? That's been cold. So if I'm accepted by you, I, you, I, you accept me. That is Ubuntu right there. It's the beginning of such. So we're building bridges, cultural bridges to, to link all of us all over the world through our music, through our religions, spirituality, and whatever other links that we can find. And I will never, ever dismiss my brothers and sisters, no matter where they are or are from. Yeah, that is that unity. And in terms of African uh, um, uh, reggae music coming out of Africa, um, who are the people that you have, you know, that you you appreciate? Uh, There's a couple of heroes in my mind, Mm -hmm. uh, reggae heroes that, that, Live in Africa. Yes. Yes. Have you been inspired by any of those? Oh, definitely. I mean, as you said, the works of Lucky Dube is is one of the most inspiring works for us as South African reggae artists because his reach is is comparable to to um, Bob Marley's reach. When I when I first put my feet down in Jamaica and they were like, oh, you're from South Africa? And I'm like, yeah. And they were like, oh, so you know Lucky Dube? And I was like, man, y'all know him here too? This is a big thing. So... Yes. That's a man that I look at and the moral, uh, the, the model and work ethic that he used is something that's so unbelievable. And then you start looking at people such as Veli Shabangu, who was one of his drummers, but then also stayed in Jamaica and became a producer for Caveman for a little bit. Then he immigrated to the UK and he did some DJing out there. So he has the influence of that as well. Now he's back in South Africa and continuing with his And he career. also worked with Timela and the likes of, you know, so 100%. it's quite diverse. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's yes. also very, very motivational because... Because that's that that reminds me kind of, of myself. We're yes. we're not seen as this specific genre or this specific artist, but you are a musician, and as a musician, you can make anything. And I find that so inspiring and so beautiful. So there is so many legends that I take lessons from, but those two right there, that is my favorite. I won't lie. <laughs> right, cool. And also people like Alpha Blondie and Tikanjaya Fakoli, yes. and there's many. Uh, there's many in West Africa as well. 100%. Amazing, incredible international artists. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Nigeria wouldn't be giving us the sounds of Afrobeat if it wasn't for the influence of reggae music on their music and Fele Kuti adding to that influence. And that's what gives you Afro. So reggae music has played a pivotal role in in the sound of African music for a very, very long time. And then if you take it back, reggae music is inspired by the traditional African sounds, the drumming and so forth. So it's kind of like African music anyway. So it's like a big circle and, and it's a beautiful circle. Yeah, so next time I play a Peter Tosh or a Burning Spear, I can say the best in African music. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> now, the next track I'm going to play is just one of my all-time favorite songs. You've done your version of it, which I'm so excited about. And the track, I think it goes back to 19... Uh, when is it? 1994 or something like that. Yeah. Let me double-check. 1994. 1994 was uh, actually a redone version oh, by Dawn Penn. Yes. But I think Who it's did like, the original? Um, my mom actually knows this one. 1936. That, I thought it was older. R&B singer. I forget his name, but he, he created that song. That song has made so much traction for so long. You could even call it reggae heritage because absolutely, it's one of the the, the anthems, reggae anthems. Yes, yes. And the track is no, 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 <laughs> featuring Shava, the daughter of General Tibbet. It's a beautiful thing right now. No, say pull up a chair and relax because it's about to get serious. Boom. <laughs> 
Don Dada's version of the classic, classic track. No, no, no. We'll hear more about it on the other side. Don Dada and Kaya 959. Beautiful version. No, no, no. You've kept all the sexiness of that song. Thank you. That's what I was trying to do yes. there. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful song. Love it too. And you were just telling me, uh, who did that song? Who did the last few versions? Okay, so the After Dawn Pen, um, 1994, she's the one who did the, the, the version that we so fam- uh, know so well. Yes. Um, it was number three. 13 on the Billboard Top 100 for like oh, for almost two years or something Amazing. like that. And then after that, years later, it has been redone by Beyonce first and then Rihanna and now of course your own Dan Dada. So it's a beautiful and thing. And beautifully done. <laughs> Thank you. And I know there's a lot of other versions as well that I've played over yes. the years. It's an absolute classic, classic track. Now Don, one thing I've noticed about you and you know you spoke about your work in Jamaica but also you've collaborated with a lot of local artists. Collaborate seems to be also a large part of what you do um, yep. the importance of it why do you think why do you do it does it happen organically and is it or is it like a thing you think this it's good to collaborate well I, I think it's it's both of it I, I let it happen organically but at the same time it is good to collaborate because you're growing your brand into a fan base that is not necessarily a fan of yours and the person you're featuring is doing the exact same thing which creates a larger audience for both of you so I think it's a beautiful thing to do and then on top of that uh, there's nothing better than supporting somebody else's art I think as an artist like you everybody every artist wants to be loved I think that's the same yes. and th- the biggest love that you can show is to involve someone into your own work and be like yo I love your music so much I want a piece of that on what I'm doing so it's a way of me showing my admiration to everyone that I work with oh, beautiful you. now you did a track I think it was a couple of years ago with Jessica Mbangeni yes yes is she a bishop now I saw the that she yes. said I actually sent her a message and I said wow sister amazing <laughs> it's true <laughs> yes so tell us about this collaboration how it came about well Sis Bishop uh, Sis Bishop <laughs> uh, Bishop Jessica Mbangeni or Sis Jessica to me um, you know like I say she's like a sister to me and I've always been an admirer of her music especially when she starts doing her Mbongi praise worship I think it is just so beautiful and so powerful so when I was working on some songs for Jamaica I started thinking about how can I put some real African in influence into it I want to fuse it together with their reggae sound and so on and the first person that came to mind was Sis Jessica because she represents Amakosa to the T like deepest, that's original deepest, yes. Yeah. Yes. so I had to get her onto it and we've actually done now three songs together so it's now forming a, like a, almost the EP so yes, it's a good a little, a little um, what can I call it you have like a little thing happening on the side a little group a, a little yeah group, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, and I love the blend of what is happening here. The track is Unity. How did the song come about? I mean, did you co-write it or how did it work? Tell me the process. Um, So that song was also for the Marcus Garvey Foundation. As I said, the, the theme of the event was No More and um, the, 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 the concept was Unity. So when it came to Unity, I thought, you know what? I cannot do a song about Unity alone. That defeats the purpose of the song. So the first person I thought of was Sis Jessica and when she came through, she was like, you know what? I want to do something in Swahili. So 
she came with a little bit of Swahili onto the chorus and then once she put the chorus I was like well that makes my job easy I just have to write <laughs> verses that's simple <laughs> beautiful spreading the message with beautiful music and lyrics yes unity Don Dada and Jessica Mbangeni and the rest of the world deep down in the sea waters up the mighty mountains down the beautiful valleys Wow. So potent, I've got to give it. I mean, you know, with, with the depth of your voice, I said to you when we were off air, Don, you've got to get a job on radio with right. that voice. <laughs> <laughs> and Je- Jessica's like authority, you know, she's one of those those artists that when she sings, if she sang to me, jump off that cliff now, I probably would. <laughs> <laughs> she has that, that authority and that mixture of your two. Now, I see that also on your last album, which I forgot to mention earlier, Al Kubalan, uh, uh, when I played Here We Go Again. Yeah. Tell us about that album and why you called it that name. Well, you know, one thing that I've noticed and, and it became quite apparent to me after my first visit to New York City, I was standing, um, I think it was in Times Square and I was just looking down the street and one thing that I noticed is that on every single building there's an American flag flying from there. So, you know, I started noticing that there's a lot of pride in, in being American and if you ask them, like, where are you from or, or who are you, the first thing they're going to say is, I'm American. They're not going to say I'm from New York or I'm from Cali or whatever. Yes. I'm American. Now, this is something that I feel that we lack in, in, in Africa because when you ask someone, yo, where are you from? They'll first be like, nah, I'm from Yeovil or you know what I mean? <laughs> Instead of saying I'm an African. And so I started thinking of how do we instill pride again? So the name Akebulan is the first ancient original name of Africa before anyone put a foot on the continent, before colonialization, before any outsiders. This is the name that we used to call ourselves. So I decided that I'm going to call my album that because this is the name that we need to know. If we don't know our own name, how can we even begin to start repairing ourselves? So that's where the concept of Akebulan came from. And it also goes back to having oneness and unity because this is before the, the when Bismarck drew up the, the, the border lines that split up Africa during World War II and the land grab of colonies and so on. So this has taken us way back to our original being. And I really like that concept. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Don, and, and spreading this message through your music and sound and lyrics. Thank you. We're going to end with one last track, and this one wasn't given to me by you, but I'm insisting we end this feature <laughs> with this track because it's a power track. It is, it is. Yes, <laughs> yes. And actually, he gave it to me for Youth Day. Uh, it's called Uprising, 16th of June, 1976. Features Oluate. Is that how you said? Oluate. Yes. Oluate, uh, uh, Simi Free, Lady Presh, Niwa, Fire Choir, and of course... John Dada and MXO, and it was given to me by MXO. Boom, that's my brother right yes. there. <laughs> Musical brother, you know. MXO has been a friend of mine for over 10 years, and in those 10 years, we used to always meet up at the studios and all this, and we'd be like, yo, we need to work on something, we need to work on something, but we never really had a chance to work and release a song. So this was the first thing that we put together and, and released, and I'm so proud of it. I mean, I used to follow uh, MXO from Roots 2000, and, you know, from all his albums, I think when I was 18 years old, my first company was uh, printing out uh, mixtapes for artists and distributing them for them and MXO was one of the artists that I used to do that for and I think also Youngster CPT so to now have a song with him I am so happy. But you know listening to you Don, you have literally lived I think 
your dreams you and, and what is it what are those ingredients that you think are necessary for for manifesting those can i even say childhood yeah. dreams yes i think it's you know I, I'm, I'm very lucky when you speak a lo- to a lot of artists the first thing that they say is that at home they never re- really received a lot of support their parents wanted them to do something else be a doctor be a lawyer my mom is here being my camera woman my dad is my road management so i'm well supported at home that's already the beginning of dream chasing number two it's like you know, sorry i've got to add in there and the name i mean you were born you were given that name at birth that's yeah. a very powerful thing. 100%. Yes, yes. <laughs> and number two. Uh, uh, but it comes with a certain responsibility, I'm oh, sure. Too much. Yes. Too much. Because now you lead it. Yes. You, can't, you can't mess up. Yes. And number two, I always find, and I tell this to young artists all the time, that this music industry and life, no matter what you're doing, it's it's not a sprint. It's, it's, it's a marathon. And you cannot win a race if you quit halfway. You've got to keep on running and reach the finish line. And sometimes, you know, it gets lonely and you're looking around and you're thinking, wow, there's nobody with me i must be so far behind but you know the reality could be that you're so far ahead that you don't see anybody but you'll never know the difference if you don't finish what you started so you have to have that dedication and it will never be the easiest of races it's not a straight 1k run or whatever no it's going through mountainous terrain it's going through the most beautiful valleys and you know it's it's the craziest journey that you can ever be on but if you're dedicated for it i don't think anything can stop you and it's what i was saying earlier on sometimes it just takes one person to shift things and it takes just tomorrow today might seem like your life is not happening Mm -hmm. but tomorrow morning you might wake up to one song that somebody called on to or one invite to perform somewhere or one person that you come across and I think that's what we have to carry 100% I mean look at me I'm on Kaya FM right now this is a big (laughs) thing so you know just keep pushing and you'll be here too guys Uh, thank you Don (laughs) thank you for coming on the world show it's such a pleasure Thank you, Nikki B. And, and before I go, I just want to say thank you for lending your platform to artists such as myself because it's people like you that help to grow the reggae industry and help to mature artists from being maybe a, an up-and-coming artist to being a legendary artist. If it wasn't for people like you giving our music to the masses, our music would stay in the bedroom or the studio. So I have to say a big, big thank you for all the work that you've done throughout the years, not just for me, but for the entire industry. Thank you so much, Don. It's my absolute pleasure, and I'm always honored to do it. And always, as you know, I say, first heard on the world show. So I'm always excited when I can say, hey, guys, listen to this. You've got to listen to this. Yeah. I'm Nikki B. Thank you for being with me. Thanks again to Don Dada. I'm going to end tonight's show with Uprising, 16th of June, 1976. Collaboration, Olu8, MXO, Don Dada, Semi Free, Lady Presh, Niwa, and Fire Choir. Boom, boom, boom. Why? The World Show with Nikki B. Every Sunday from 6 to 9 p.m. on Kaya 959. If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on Kaya 959.co.za.